Welcome, friends. On behalf of the Presbytery of San Fernando, I am delighted to have you as part of our regular conversations. Our Presbytery is a community of churches and ministries that is seeking to be part of Christ's mission with faithfulness, joy, humility, and courage in the northwest part of the Los Angeles area and beyond. I hope that you enjoy this dialogue. Please feel free to learn more about us by visiting our website at sfpressmeeting.org. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everybody, this is Casey Way, uh, Presbytery San Fernando. I think this is close to our 40th meetup. And I know we're going to wait a minute or two just to let people jump on. And we, if you remember, we started this kind of at the beginning of the pandemic. And thanks to Randy Lovejoy, one of our colleagues, uh, for a while, I was just sharing with Todd, for a while, um, we did that every week. And then Juan Sarmiento uh, joined our staff here at the Presbytery of San Fernando as our executive presbyter. Between myself and Nick Warnes and Juan, we've had some wonderful conversations with some of our church planters, our new worshiping community leaders, uh, people in our presbytery. I know Mike Harper, you've been on. If you're, I know you're going to jump on soon or you watch it later. Um, we've all shared at this table of um, learning and learning what it means to do this work together, especially in times like these. So my name is Casey Way, one of the evangelist pastors in the presbytery. I serve at Burbank Press, for those of you who don't know, helping Ross out, Pastor Ross, um, as one of the parish associates. And I think this is a really interesting moment that we get to do this with Todd. Um, before we do anything else, I just want to remind you to go to the PSF website, sfpresby.org. On the website, uh, you can find out all of the information happening in the life of the Presbytery. One of those key moments right now in the Presbytery is, that's coming up, you'll find on the, on the Presbytery website, is the Logan Institute training coming up this weekend, uh, uh, May 19th. Uh, you can find the details about that, um, questions. You should have received an email from Juan uh, sharing with um, everybody about what's happening and if you want to bring your team to that event. And I believe that event is practically zero dollars. So right now, um, it won't cost you anything to do that. Logan Institute is sponsoring that. So again, if you have more questions or if I need more info, uh, reach out to Juan, um, reach out to the Presbytery office. Um, another reminder, join uh, Mike Harbert and Barbara Haddon uh, for the weekly Lectio Divina every Thursday, four o'clock on the Presbytery website. Again, hey there, Doug, on the Presbytery website, Again, you can find out information about the Lectio Divina. And I think I shared with one last week, um, Mike and Barbara are some awesome, Lord-loving people. You won't even realize you're on Zoom. That's how awesome it is. So again, check in about that if you haven't already done that. We're going to keep that going, especially as churches begin in our region, a body of churches begin to regather and reopen. I think those are all the big things um, as you're jumping on, and Doug really started this going, as you're jumping on, type in your name, let us know where you're from um, here in the Presbytery. If you're watching from somewhere else, I know Juan has a very um, large group of friends all over the globe. And so I know many of his friends have jumped on uh, to listen and watch. And if you're watching later, um, thank you for taking the time to watch. We'll make sure this is up on the iTunes podcast and the Spotify podcast. Again, thank you for being part of this day. And Todd, my friend, 
I could get all gushy and awesome. And I've known Todd for a very long time. And my fondest memory of you and me, Todd, is when I finally, and I'm going to cry, finally graduated high school and you took me out for a steak dinner. Um, well, I can't my, it's my favorite too. My exactly. I, it's my favorite memory. And I think um, the fact that like I've had surrogate moms and dads and brothers and sisters in this uh, larger church, we call the Church Universal and my cheerleaders. And so I don't even think I'd be here today um, where I'm at uh, completing my undergrad at 30 at Azusa, finishing up my seminary education at Princeton. And it all, all goes back to that. Uh, really people like you cheering me on to get that done. I think I was like, 19 or something and when when we went for that steak dinner so todd um i'm gonna go everybody knows what you do um they can see it on the website they can go to fullerseminary.edu and you can find out what todd does um but i'm just glad um that you're taking you've taken the time to be on this call um your latest book tempered resilience um i won't speak for all of the other leaders in our presbytery but uh, that word resilience probably has been one of the words that we have all had to learn um, to, especially as, you know, we're joking about Zoom and tech and live streaming. I think I went from my cell phone streaming services to uh, three cameras and these special mics a year later. And the funniest thing this past year, as we've all kind of adapted and made that pivot and figuring out how to make sure the church the proclamation of the gospel continues, um, even as, you know, we say, at least here at Burbank and other churches, the church never closed. Thanks. And the church never closed. The church has always been open. God's mission continues. Um, but now I, I find it interesting. Some of our seniors, beautiful people, they've all become experts in live streaming. They'll send me articles about how to change the levels of the mic. They'll say, hey, if you read this article, and, and these were the same group of friends who are like, Facebook? What's a Facebook? Now they're all professional Facebookers and all of that stuff. Um, Todd, why don't you take a minute um, and maybe just share first um, what, I think this would be good, what, what you're doing at Fuller and just to give people kind of a glimpse, and then we'll just jump right into your book. Okay, okay, great. Well, it's good to be with you. It's very fun to be uh, able to participate in any Presbyterian gathering. Presbyterians are, of course, uh, I'm a PCUSA pastor. I was trained with Casey at First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood, went on to uh, go to Fuller and get my both my MDiv and PhD, and for 17 years served in San Clemente in the Los Ranchos Presbytery. The last seven years, I've been back at Fuller. Um, for the first six years of that seven, I was a senior vice president, um, a vice president, and then a, a later on a chief of a leadership of a division at Fuller. Um, and I, my job was to always help us think through kind of new, innovative ways that we could keep thinking about adapting logical education for a changing world. And so now I am the executive director of the Church Leadership Institute. Uh, last year, when we finally place where we had a, a strategic plan that was up and operational and moving into the uh, logistics phase, I said to Mark Labrador and our president that um, I'm I, at this stage of my life, I didn't want so much to be an administrator of a, of a depart division as I wanted to keep working change. And if he needed me to leave Fuller, I understood it's been a great run. And he said, no, why don't you start that for Fuller? Why don't you start working on that? So I got to um, go take my uh, work into the Dupree Center for Leadership and start the Church Leadership Institute, 
which is really focused on one big problem, which is how do we help church leaders become really people who thrive as change leaders? Because all of us are adapting change. The world is changing faster than we can possibly keep up with it. You just gave a good example. You know, senior citizens who would, who were tech averse now are becoming tech experts. Right. Um, and at the exact same time, all of us are kind of uh, what is it going to? What is the future going to look like after this last uh, 15 months of a pandemic? And so the f- the only thing we know about change is that is that it is speeding up. And I I work on that every single day. How do I help church leaders thrive as change leaders? That's great. No, Todd, thank you for that. And I think if anything, when the idea of having you come and be part of this uh, for the next 45 minutes or so was to really just one learn about what it means to do this change together, and two, and um, by the way. Um, Friends, if you haven't gotten Todd's book, uh, you can go on Amazon and find that. I have it on my Kindle. I'm going through it right now as we speak. It's a good, easy read. And it really leads, I think, if anything, Todd, this idea of we've been doing this. We have something called the PSF strategy. And um, three years ago, uh, we took on a project where we were going to kind of reset and reboot. And one of those one of those components of the strategic direction was leadership development. And I think this is where uh, your book and this conversation is really important. And I'll just jump right in. I mean, I, 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 love, I love this idea of resilience, like I said. Um, and I also love um, how you defined what a tempered, resilient leader um, is and how it's formed in your book. And, and the quote here, um, I'm not going to share the screen, friends who are listening, but I'll read it to you. A tempered leader is formed in the act of leading through reflection, uh, relationships, and a rule of life, in a rhythm of leading and not leading. And if we could start maybe, Todd, with just a two-part question. The first is, um, and again, we, we'll, we'll just kind of glide and cruise here. The first is, with the backdrop of the pandemic behind us and so many churches and organizations that are reemerging, uh, what is a tempered, resilient leader? Yeah. So, Casey, the, the notion of this whole metaphor came out of the time before the pandemic, even then talking to people about leading change. Um, so I spent the better part of four years traveling about 100,000 miles a year around the country and to a couple of other countries talking about the fact that the world is changing and that <laughs> we need to lead our churches into faithful change. And what happened was, usually what would happen is the who invited me to come to their, you know, speak would take me to lunch before they put me back on a plane. And then they would say, uh, very often I heard them say something like, you know, that was helpful, but I'm not sure we have anybody who can do that. (laughs) Well, that's, so I started probing. And what I heard was, we're not sure we have anybody who has a stomach for it. Like one, one of the people that I, co- I do a lot of executive coaching with pastors. And one of them said to me, I think I can learn to lead change. I'm not sure I can. And what's really hard about it is the toll it takes on the leader trying to lead change when, lead, when people resist change naturally. Just, it's just, it's in human nature to resist change. Uh, one of the famous phrases is people don't resist change, they resist loss. Well, when you experience loss and change, that we become really um, profoundly resistant to that change. And one of the places where this shows up a lot, if you just think of it this way, like, you know, the word family and the word familiar are the same root word. And what that means is, is when you find yourself in an unfamiliar place or somebody starts changing around the church where it feels unfamiliar, you feel like you lost your family. 
you feel like you are abandoned. Like how many times have you tried to make a change in the church and someone will say to you, you know, what are they doing to our church? I feel like I've lost my home church. I feel like I don't recognize my church anymore. Like, like when you realize that a visceral level, when you start making changes, people start experiencing that as a band. Like that's a, it's like the little kid in the grocery store who's so busy looking at the cereal box, doesn't realize mom and dad moved on to the next idol aisle. All they want to do is just like get home to mama. And that's where a lot of our churches are. And what it creates for pastors and leaders is they've got to develop a strength to continue on with the change process, especially if we're convinced this is what God wants us to do. But you've got to do that with a kind of wisdom that allows a transformation to occur. And that's why it's a tempered resilient tool, right? It's a tempered, which is both stronger and more flexible, that has a kind of resilience that can overcome resistance. And, and that quality is something that is formed. It's not just something that's naturally occurred. It's actually kind of part of the formation process of leaders that happens right in the middle of leading, as we talked about. No, that's good. Um, and I think if anything, especially we're talking about this right now in our church, and I know many of our other pastors in the region are talking about it. Um, I think there's a group of people expecting that from pre-pandemic, everything's going to be in place. We're going to see the choir up front. We're going to have the ushers at the door. The offering plates are going to be passed. And um, all these new things we've had to do. Hey, everyone, we really want you to get through the church app. And hey, everyone, get used to the singing on a live stream. I think there's that thing that's going to happen. Not a thing, but actually a, when you describe the family thing, that this family, that so many of our folks, especially some of them who are in, our, in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, they miss pre-pandemic and they are, there's going to be a part where they're going to grieve in the beginning, I think, because I would, where, wait, where are all the things that we used to have? Where are all the things that, you know, why can't the choir sing right now? And why can't we have coffee and donuts right now? And really just slowly re, re, kind of re-adjusting, um, resetting so where they can actually think this is a good thing. We got through this together. Now, what can we do to uh, keep going? Um, you know, in all of this, Todd, what do you think the greatest challenge, especially kind of what I was just talking about, and, and for other churches, what, what do you think the challenge is going to be uh, when it comes for, to churches and organizations um, regarding adaptive change? What are some of the big challenges that we're going to face? Yeah, so, so adaptive change is, by definition, a way of leading change when you have expertise to fall back on, right? So, out of it's from Raul Heifetz at Harvard and his colleagues and a technical problem is a problem that an expert can solve that's why you know it's a technical problem an expert can solve it doesn't mean it's a trivial problem right heart bypasses are technical problems preaching the trinity without committing heresy that's a technical problem <laughs> we teach you how to do it at the seminary right we learn how to do it but it's not easy an adaptive challenge is one where you don't have expertise you cannot rely on best so yeah, we can train everybody how to use Zoom, but we're going to have to rethink the notion of community in a world that is both high-tech and high-touch. And that means it's going to require transformation. And that's a profoundly different uh, conversation than we've had in the past. And so the biggest struggle for most of us in terms of adaptive change is that what we default back to is technical, even if it wasn't working. And that's one of the huge 
moments that we're all facing at the moment. When people talk about getting back to church, one of the questions that we have to really grapple with is going back to what? Why do we want to go back? Which kind of church do we want to go back to? Do we want to go back to the church that has lost a million millennials a year for the last 10 years? And <laughs> like back to the forms of worship that have been in decline in the Presbyterian church for the last 40 years? <laughs> like, 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 like there are certain things that we hold on to that are, that are crucial not to lose or we lose our identity. But a lot of what we want to get back to is just what's familiar because it feels like home. And again, there's nothing wrong with the feeling of wanting to be comfortable, but if it's not allowing us to move forward in a way that is fruitful to the mission God's given us, then it actually gets in the way. That's right. That's right. No, thank you for that, Todd. Todd, I think one of the most difficult things right now for leaders, especially coming out of this past year, is to do, I think that, and I struggle with this because I've been a solo pastor where the solo pastor does everything. I'm vacuuming. I'm the wedding coordinator, I'm the, the custodian, I'm cleaning toilets, and oh, by the way, there's a funeral that's about to start in 10 minutes, um, and there's that temptation to do things alone, and I think especially for so many leaders in the pandemic, there, there was that pressure. I have to live stream because no one else knows how to do it. I have to make sure that the microphone is set up. I have to make sure these things are all in order because in order for us to have the nice lighting and all of that, and I think now to moving from doing things on our own, that temptation of having like, oh, I'm the only one who can do this. Um, my, my thought here, my reflection is how do we, or this question, how do we as leaders right now, not, and you mentioned this, not default to that mindset, um, not losing that tempered resilience that so many of us learned this past year and really for the first time, how do we not default to that mindset? Well, one of the ways to not default back to an old mindset is to become profoundly aware of the experience of loss. Like, so this is an interesting, there's an interesting irony, um, a tempered tool. So this, this is a blacksmithing metaphor, right? So actually- I love in that our, illustration in, in the beginning of the book. That's yeah, okay. so in, in, our, in, you know, actually in the neighborhood that San Fernando is part of, there's a blacksmithing community. Uh, you can take lessons on how to blacksmith. There hasn't been a horse in that neighborhood in a hundred years, but there That's are awesome. started blacksmiths and you can go take blacksmithing class. And, and I did, I took two as a matter of fact. And one of the things that you can learn is that, you know, the way you get a steel tempered is you first have to, get it so heated up that it becomes almost liquid. Hmm. So the way you develop strength is through vulnerability. That We're not used to thinking it that way. We think we get stronger by getting tougher. You actually get stronger by being able to be vulnerable because vulnerability opens you up to the learning and it begins to shape you. This is one of the most interesting parts about how hard it is to be in ministry people you know my dad used to always quote harry truman you know if you can't stand the heat stay out of the kitchen <laughs> well i want to say the kitchen's not hot enough what most leaders have to first get in touch with is most of the decisions we make are to try to cool down our own feelings of vulnerability hmm. like i would say and i'm not i'm like the, the thing that we believe we have to please everybody like if i don't run everything it won't happen around here that's right. Well, one of the principles of adaptive leadership is you have to give work back to the people most affected, which if we want to put translate that into our theological framework, that's the priesthood of all believers. So a lot of us are exhausted because we think it's our job to keep the church running. And certainly if the church didn't run, we wouldn't have a job. So it becomes a hamster on the, on the habit trail, right? 
Right. But if we're going to try to move the church in a different system, one of the first things we've got to be able to do is, is find a way to say to our congregations, um, th this is not about the pastor running anything. It's about us having a mission, each of us having a calling. I have my role, you have yours, we all have ours. So what are we called to do together? And, and that's a hard conversation for a yeah. lot of folks, right? Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, Ronald Heifetz defined leadership as disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. That's right. Um, and so, but it requires us to think beyond the idea that the pastor is the, and, and it's, it happens in small churches, but it happens in big churches too. The pastor is the hired hand. If you can't keep everybody happy, you're out, right? Well, that's not biblical. And that's certainly not Presbyterian. And yet we default to that very often. Mm -hmm. that, no, that's great, Todd. And I think, I think <clears throat> this is an important conversation for many. I, I think our pastors, our leaders have to be a little risky and they have to be willing to be bold in some ways, but also as you just mentioned, how, how do we do that with grace and, and in a way that they can handle? Um, what do you think, Todd, and again, going through your book, what is that critical moment for any leader in a moment of adaptive change? And I love this quote that you mentioned in your book, when a leader raises awareness of the need for change, the natural result is for stakeholders to resist that change and the loss of that change, that resistance soon turns to sabotage. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that, that, that moment, that critical moment for any leader might be? Well, it shows up in different places, but what it usually is, is the moment when everybody takes a deep breath and recognizes for us to move forward, we're gonna to have to be transformed. We're gonna to have to give some stuff up we're going to have to be willing to change. We're going to have to be willing to lose some things. And, and it's painful. Like, so, you know, uh, if you've ever, um, if you've ever sold a house, right. I tell you this illustration all the time. You sell your family house, you raised your kid. Like you literally have memories in the wallpaper, right? If you've ever had the experience of having somebody walk into your house to buy it. And the first thing they start doing is criticizing it because they don't see it the way you see it. It's really painful. Like, like, I mean, Beth and I, my wife, we built a house from scratch that we raised our children in. And when we sold it in San Clemente to move to Pasadena, you know, the real estate caravan gave a whole bunch of notes of things they wish we had done different when we built it. Well, it's, well, I'm like, for, oh, we love this place. Of course we get defensive. And I think that's what it often feels like in church members when you go to them and say, look, here's the reality. Our church is, it is declining or it doesn't reflect the neighborhood anymore. Or many of the things, the stories we tell are stories about trying to get back our glory days. And we have got to think with new eyes and new opportunities um, about the difference in front of us. So it's one example. Um, I'm working with a church. I was, I was just asked to be on a call with, is in a, a first Presbyterian in another part of the country. They used to have 3,000 members. Today they have 100. And 150 of those they say are, under, or are over 80. So 150 are over 80, 150 are younger than 80. Wow. They are in, a, in an, an area of the city that is changing demographically, that it's got lots of needs, and they know that. They know that the gospel wants to make a difference. They want to love their neighbors. But they remember when they were 3,000 members, and they've got a big sanctuary. And they said, so he said on a call, just trying to figure out how we get our vitality back. And what they meant was, how do we grow again like we were when we had 3,000 members? And I tried to say to them, I said, I want you to think for just a second. I know lots of church planners around the country. If I offered to a church planter, you can have a building 
in a neighborhood where there's lots of need and you get 150 people and you'll have 150 prayer partners and donors, would you take the job? And every church planner I know would be like, sign me up. 150 people, 150 prayer partners, a building in a neighborhood where there's lots of needs. Oh my gosh, sign me up. But what we do with it is if we're part of that church that can remember the 3000 is we sit there and say, what can we possibly do to go back, to get back to what it used to be rather than the opportunities to move forward. And that wrestling, when a pastor finds herself in that moment is when the sabotage happens, when, and, and when it, happens and the most soul-sucking thing for a pastor isn't the changes in the world it's the resistance of our own people when you try to call them for the sake of the gospel to minister to people in the world yeah and that's very applicable right now especially uh, so many churches that have already reopened around locally here in the san fernando valley and so many churches that are going to get ready to open like you said she or he who's leading um figuring out how to manage this and figuring out how to do it well. And I think one of the other thoughts I had for you, Todd, was that I wish, I wish I would have had this class in seminary. How do we manage? How do we manage this kind of change? How do we uh, really, uh, how are we prepared and leading the kind of change that leads our organizations to transfer transformation? Um, and I think that fear again, um, I want to, I want to please the people in my, my pews. I want to make them happy. And I don't want to sabotage maybe what God is already doing. And some of the things, I mean, for example, again, we've talked in our presbytery, um, we're doing all these different initiatives. We're all doing all these missional things that, you know, from church planting, new worshiping community, communities, working with agencies like North Valley Caring Services that I was mentioning to you about. Um, and these are great things, but I, my fear, the moment that someone walks back into the sanctuary and I have no doubt my other sisters and brothers on the call or who might watch this will agree that they're going to default to that critical moment, um, that space of, well, why do we have to, why can't we sit together? Why are all the pews roped off? Um, you know, that, I don't have a vaccine. I didn't want to get it. Where am I going to sit? And that, I mean, and I could see sabotage slowly <laughs> creeping in. Now, what do the leaders do? Now, what do the elders do? And we have to go back. Well, just to make everybody happy. Okay. Everybody come back vaccine or no vaccine. Um, and I think I wish I had this class to, to it back. If I can go back just to be ready. And I, and I think if anything, Todd, this, this next couple of questions, as we move toward the end, because I want to hear, by the way, if you have any questions for Todd, if you're on the call right now, if you're watching, feel free to type those questions in, feel free to write the questions out. And um, again, we'll, we'll shoot them over to Todd and see if and he wants to take a crack at it. And no doubt um, Todd could give you the, an awesome answer. But Todd, one of the things that um, I was reading, when we think about resilience, you said we think about it in two categories. It usually falls into two categories. First, surviving the face of harsh personal adverse, ad, adversity. And second, bouncing back from a failure or setback and continuing on. Um, surviving in the face of harsh personal adversity and bouncing back from a failure failure of, or setback and continuing on. Where do you, I think with all of that in mind, um, 
where do you see signs of resurrection hope right now as you've been talking about this really before the pandemic as you said where do you see signs of resurrection hope right now that um are happening um around the country around the world that leaders you know especially with leaders learning the art of survival in the midst of in the midst of adversity and the art really of bouncing back from failure especially in a post-pandemic world mm. yeah so casey the on um, those those two um, understandings of resilience to me come together in this definition that I use in the book. So the definition of resilience that I use comes from Andrew Zolli. He, he defined resilience as the ability to maintain core purpose and integrity in the face of dramatically changing circumstances. So maintain core purpose and integrity in the face of dramatically changing circumstances. So you, you know me well enough to know that maintain is not a verb that gets me out of bed in the morning. Like I'm not really a maintain kind of guy. I mean, I, I, I basically gave up my senior administration role because I didn't want to be part of maintaining the future at Fuller that we worked really hard to try to bring. But maintaining core purpose, now that's important. Maintaining integrity, which is really about like the sense of, the sense of integrity and fidelity and identity of who you are. That's really important. So what I really want to help churches think through is the churches that are going to thrive after the pandemic are being able to be the ones who use this time to get really clear in the question, what do we offer the world? Like, what is our gift? Hmm. What is our reason for being? I'm working right now with another denomination in another big city, um, their whole diocese on going through process where every congregation in the process is going to be trying to trying to discern one of three paths we're either going to revitalize because we have something to offer our neighborhood like we have a gift to offer our neighborhood we're going to either collaborate because in order for what our neighbors need they need more of us to come together or we're going to sunset we're going to basically it's our job to start closing our doors and giving those resources back to the diocese so that we could start new work. Well, those are discernment and those are painful, every one of them, because what none of them say is, we are going to come up with a future that makes our members happy. They're all, we're gonna to try to meet the pain point with our gifts. So the congregations that are actually coming through the, through the pandemic better are not the ones sitting around going, how fast can we get rid of masks when can we worship together? How are we going to use Zoom calls? They're actually asking the question, for what missional purpose does God have us in the world and in our neighborhood? And what do we need to be willing to change or grow in for that missional purpose? That how, how do we adapt our core purpose and integrity without losing it to make an impact on the people around us? Hmm. And, and I have to tell you, this was... This, these questions for the last 20 years. But like I had, when I was at Fuller with a group of Silicon Valley leaders up in, up in the Silicon Valley, and I gave them, they were asked me to explain one of the initiatives I was doing at Fuller to try to help change theological education. And, and when I did my little pitch, the guy looked at me and said, you just described why that would be good for Fuller. Nobody cares what's good for Fuller. Guy looks at me and says, Todd, nobody cares if your institution survives. What they care about is, does your institution care about them? So go listen to people and find out what they care about, what they need, and then figure out 
how you can solve that problem. And the guy looks at me and goes, you're a theology professor. Didn't Jesus say something about the fact that we have to love our neighbors? <laughs> well, anytime the venture capitalist gives a theology lesson to the theology professor, it's a bad day for the theology professor. <laughs> Where many of us are at the moment, we are coming, we, pandemic begins to lighten. We find ourselves arguing over, stressing over. Yeah. How do we survive? And the answer we got to ask is survive for what? And that becomes then the central principle for moving forward. And that's hard because every church has got people who will threaten to leave or take their money or, you know, and we find ourselves struggling with wanting to please. And the answer is we have got to be willing to let, to help be formation of people and our communities for the sake of our mission, if we're going to have any relevance whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Todd. I mean, I think that's, I mean, if anything, that's that's awesome to think about um, as some of us are navigating through that and really bringing other people to the table in our churches, our organizations, what we do in leadership. Um, it, Todd, there's one more, and it, maybe this might be a two-part, and I would love to talk, I would love for you to talk about um, what you're actually, what you are doing at Fuller and about a new project that you're doing um, and to be able to share um, with that, with those, to share that work with those on the call, but also for people to hear about it later. Um, this is really, actually, it's a set of questions that I pulled from your book that I found interesting. And I think maybe this would be a good way to move um, toward the next part of our conversation. What does it take uh, to be ready for the next day of leading? And, and there's kind of another part there. What does it take to become a tool, to become a tool that has the resilience to be used by God to hew stones of hope out of a mountain of despair and to keep doing so day after day, year after year? I mean, this entire year, I mean, the next day is, is here now. I mean, for so many of us. Um, it's involved, and we talked about this a few minutes before the call. Juan mentioned this to me, so many things, not just the pandemic this past year, uh, conversations about diversity and race, conversations about leadership, especially some what we're doing here in the San Fernando Presbytery, really trying to figure out how to help those who are in our churches uh, learn, like you said, this idea of what is in our neighborhood, what can we do to be in the neighborhood? And you and I come from a background you know, in, in LA and Hollywood, especially where we learned before the word missional even became a word that people were bouncing around. We, we had people that we knew that were being missional and they were in their eighties and nineties and, and doing things that were missional and amazing in the neighborhood. I mean, I still remember Clark Paddock telling me about Sam Gam when I was, you know, a 16 year old that this is what our church does to love the neighborhood, you know, to be in the neighborhood. Um, Todd, that next day for many of us has arrived. Um, what would you tell those listening to this right now or watching it um, right now as they work toward becoming that tempered leader that God has called us all to be? What would you say, basically? I'll just paraphrase it. What would you say to those listening right now as that next day has arrived? Um, what would you tell us as we begin that next day, especially with all of these hard conversations that we've had, and especially as churches have are, are starting to reopen and have those difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll shut up there. That's a long pastor question. <laughs> so there you go. Well, what I would mostly say to most leaders is this is your moment to get really clear right. on why you're here. I know that sounds odd, but, but you know, for a lot of our, what happened is we all got disrupted. 
And, and what we all learned was the world could go on without us having our doors open. Amen. That, that's, a, that's a sober moment, right? Yes. And so our value is now really like our value to people is do we minister to people in such a way that they show up, they connect to each other, they want to grow? Like, are we, you know, what is it going to look like for us to exist in the future? It's because it's that we are going to have to have a clear reason for being that makes an impact on people's lives. And that means that like in one of the great phrases that Jim Collins, who's one of the leadership gurus writes is basically is once you're clear on what should never change, then be prepared to change everything else. And leading people wisely through that process when they are going to resist. I mean, resistance is natural. It's normal. It's what humans do. So leading people through their own resistance is the skill set that every pastor has to have today. You actually have to lead a group of people through their own formation in order to of God in the world. And that is a profoundly difficult task. So what I would say is get really clear on why you exist and get really clear on the fact that what this is going to require of you is a capacity to lead resistant people through transformation and believe that, that is, this is the moment that we're in that is the work that God wants us to do. So awesome. I, I think, Todd, too, I know um, our leaders, especially we're meeting really soon to talk about some of those core values and to see even in this past year to have those values changed. And at the start of the pandemic and now moving into that post-pandemic world, have we um, added some new values, added some new components of making sure that we're doing that mission well that God has called us to do? Todd, thank you so much. Um, and I want you, I want, could you maybe share a little bit about the project um, that you're doing at Fuller and specifically maybe what it would mean for, I know I'm not a sole pastor right now, but maybe if I'm pastoring a church of 30, 40, 50 people, or one of our medium-sized churches, what, what you're off, what Fuller's doing with leaders right now in that context and how it, per, how it um, pertains to the work of the local church. Yeah. So one of our big projects is what's called the Adaptive Church Leadership Cohort. Um, we right now, we're working with 30 churches from around the country in an 18-month process where they learn how to lead this change. You, it's a pastor and four or five lay people who commit to an 18-month process of learning how to lead their church through wise, healthy, adaptive change. Mm -hmm. And what's great about the process is that it's actually built on lots of research and lots of experience. Churches who've done this, it's right, that's the work that I do with my doctor of ministry students. Probably over a hundred churches that I've related that I've worked with around the country. It's a it's a really in depth but really accessible process. Like like the thing I want people to hear is everything we've just said is that it's a hard day. The answer is not to keep harder. The answer is to learn a different way of leading. It's not work harder. It's learn different. And that's what this process does. Now what happened also was the Lilly Endowment gave us a huge grant to be able to figure out how to deliver this same adaptive leadership cohort in an online version that any church of any size could afford to do, including lots of money to underwrite them. So next year, starting in September, we're going to actually have a, a set of hybrid version for churches that want to be able to meet with other churches. And we're going to have an online version for congregations to get a coach and to walk through that same process in a cheaper way. If you just contact me at Fuller, I'll, we'll get you in touch with 
whatever version works best for your church, what you can afford, what you can be part of. Um, but the Lilly Endowment has given us a really big grant to make those resources available um, to any church that wants to go through the online version. I know you pasted the website there, but can they find out more about that at the Dupree.org site? Yeah, yeah. If you just go to the Dupree.org slash church and uh, or contact me at the church at bullsinger at fuller.edu and we can take it from there. That's great. And again, I mean, I think I think that to know that that resource is available locally for us as leaders, for, for, for churches is good to know because and, and to have those options of either hybrid and or online is really important for coaching too. even the simplest, simplest thing of if, if some, someone simply needs a coach, yep. they, there's, there's the, still the expectation they're going to go through the program, right? Actually, either one. So we offer both. We offer what we say is we offer coaching and cons- and cohorts. We offer, actually we offer courses. We offer coaching. We offer cohorts. So eat three C's. So the courses we have online courses available, and we've got materials at the website. We do coaching. I've got myself and a group of other people who've been trained in this that coaches people and pastors through a process. Mm-hmm. And then we have cohorts where you take your whole leadership team through a pro co- process. So whether you want something or whether you want something with your team or for your church, uh, we've got it available. That's great. No, thank you for that, Todd. And I'm looking to see if there are any questions here. I know, again, Juan sends a message saying, thank you, Todd and Casey, uh, for bringing us into this timely conversation. Um, Again, Doug, thank you for being on the call. Um, If you have other questions, if you're listening to this later on, uh, feel free, again, as Todd said, contact, contact him at the Fuller website. Bolsinger um, at fuller.edu, right? Yep. There, there you go. Oh, there he is. Thanks, Doug, for doing that. Um, I think I think we're good. This is exciting. This is this okay. is a good conversation. Um, I can't think of anything else right now that um, is pressing. But Todd, um, I want to bless you and thank you so much for just taking time to be part of this. And I look forward to seeing um, seeing you soon in person, maybe one day soon. Um, But again, bless you. And thank you everybody for being on this conversation today. And I look forward to, we all look forward to seeing you at Presbytery coming up soon and all the other things that we're doing. Um, Again, we hope to have this conversation online for you to listen to later. Uh, You can go to the Facebook page for the Presbytery. Uh, You might see the video there later. And again, if you haven't already subscribed to the iTunes or the Spotify account, you can find that at the sfpresby.org website. God bless you, friends. And Todd, again, thank you so much, um, my brother. We look to be continued. Yeah, nice to be with you. As we wrap up this time together, I would like to express our gratitude on behalf of the team and the people of the San Fernando Presbytery. My prayer is that it might have been helpful to you. I would like to also invite you to comment, give us some feedback, and perhaps even like this podcast or share it uh, with uh, people that you know so that we may be able to continue making it available to others. Thank you so much, and God bless you.